to the ExtraordinaryChurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. First Peter 5 and 10, the scripture says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Draw your attention to that word, after. He says, after you have suffered a while. The writer of Hebrews would say that the captain of our salvation was made perfect or complete or brought about to maturity by suffering. Peter says, after you have suffered a while, God's going to perfect. He's going to restore you, establish, strengthen, and settle you. After. And so I'm going to preach to you today on this title. Because the Holy Ghost spoke to me and told me that there's a shift of seasons coming to this church. So I'm going to preach to you that after is now. After is now. Would you just lift your hands one more time in His presence? Father, we feel Your Spirit moving already among us. I know what You have spoken to me about this people and this church and what You're doing in and through them. Father, I pray that you would give each one of us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to the church. God, help me to communicate with clarity. You know I need your help today. If you don't help me, none of this is going to work. So I pray that the Spirit of the Lord would speak. I pray the power and the glory of God would be manifest. Confirm your word with signs following. Let the gifts of the Spirit be in operation in this house today. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, the Lord bless you. You can be seated. After is now. As Jesus so often did, Matthew 13 records one of many parables that he taught from. I'm not going to read it in its entirety today for the sake of time, but you find it beginning in verse 24 of Matthew 13 down through verse 30, the interpretation comes later in the same chapter. But it would start by saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man. This is a metaphorical phrase that is used to let us know that God is about to use something that is familiar, something that is easily understood to explain something that is otherwise difficult to understand. And so now he draws our attention to the practice of agriculture. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible today, if you have read it at length at all, you you would know that this is a major theme throughout the entirety of Scripture. From the opening chapters of Genesis, through many Old Testament stories, even to the end of the Bible itself, when you come to the end of Revelation, this concept of agriculture is, is weaved throughout the entirety of Scripture. And so God uses this time and time again to teach us of His world, the way He intended it to be, and to teach us of His ways. Now, I understand that we in measure uh, do understand this, but I want you to consider now that the Bible we're reading from is, is, is thousands of years removed from the culture we're living in today. In this day, agriculture is one of a few, a few means of economic empowerment. But it's not only about the money itself, but the raising of the crops and the gathering of crops is, is the means by which somebody could come to the market and barter with somebody else. They could exchange what they have reaped for what somebody else has built. And so this is a way of livelihood for these people. And as any farmer would know, there's a cycle of sowing. 
There's a season of waiting. Then there's a time to reap. And the fact is, if there's not consistent harvest, then that person lacks the resources necessary to live. This is no small task because all of this happens without the advancement of the modern technology we know. There's no computers. There's no machinery. There's no combines. Yes, they do have some measure of technology. They're not doing it with bare hands. I know they've got plows and oxen, but friend, it was a different day. Sowing is hard work. Reaping is hard work. So I want you to understand something today. I know that the entitlement mentality is rampant in the 21st century. And there is a pervasive mentality infiltrating even the Christian world that would tell us we're just entitled to receive and we're just going to get, 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 get. And I'm not going to deny the nature of our Father. He loves to give. But i got to tell you, this kingdom business is hard work. Sowing is work. Reaping is work. But it's a necessary work because the strength of the crop is determined by the worth of the holder. And if you have a poor crop, it makes a poor man. But if you can get a bountiful crop, it makes a blessed man. And so the parable today is not simply about the principles of sowing and reaping, but ingrained within this story is a concept of value. See, the man knows the value of his seed, and he knows the value of what that seed will produce. But the Bible tells us in this parable that while men slept, the enemy comes and begins to sow tear among the wheat. And when he rises in the morning, what he sees to be a blade over time, he realizes somebody has sowed tares among the wheat. Master, do you want us to rush out there and, and pluck this up? And he says, no, we can't do that because if we were to deal with the tares right now, we could jeopardize the growth of the wheat. So we've got to let these grow together for a season, for a time. But at the time of harvest, we're going to go out and we're going to deal with the tares first. So you see, there's a time that good and bad grow together. It's ordained of God that that blessing and battle exist simultaneously for a season. So I come today to tell you that when the wicked one comes to your life, he doesn't always engage you in direct conflict. Such is the principle of this parable. He doesn't walk into the, the field of this farmer with a shovel and just start digging up seed. He doesn't come with a, with a plow or, or some sharp object and start cutting down the wheat that's already growing. No, he just subtly comes in and starts sowing tares among the wheat. It's not a direct conflict. It's an indirect conflict. He doesn't come and violently destroy the field by acts of reckless aggression. No, he just comes and subtly plants imposters among the field in an attempt to reduce the value of the crop. Because you're still going to get the wheat, but that wheat is going to be infiltrated with all kinds of tares. And now it's not as pure. It's not as valuable. So I ask you today, what? Has the enemy planted in your life to devalue the harvest that God is sending? I'm not talking to you today about direct conflict. I'm talking to you about indirect conflict. I'm talking to you about the people that agitate you, the circumstances that wear you down, the battles that are being used by the adversary to discourage you and to confuse you and to distract you. These are the indirect conflicts used by the adversary of our soul to jeopardize the harvest God is sending. And as much as he has observed the presence of the enemy, the work of the enemy. The master says, no, for a season, we've got to let them grow together. 
Now, I want you to think with me now about the rich nutrients that are moving through that soil. God placed those there so that seed could draw what it needs. So the shell of that seed would crack and something would sprout forth. But now all of a sudden, the nutrients God intended for the wheat are being spoiled by the tares. There's a competition to draw from that soil what God intended to be used for His purpose and His glory and His kingdom. Now there's a competition between the seed that will bring wheat and the seed that will bring tares. God intended it for one purpose, but now the enemy has sown tares and he's trying to use it for his purpose. See, the fight is not simply with the wheat, which is you. The fight is with the owner. He who has planted and will reap the benefit of the harvest. The wheat is simply he who has been caught in a war between the enemy and the owner. And so I've got to tell you today, lest you think the enemy is just fixated on you, he's not really too concerned about you. He's concerned about who you serve. But because you have value in the eyes of he who you serve. You have value in the eyes of the Lord. You have value to God. Now the enemy is determined to mess with the field because of he who deems you valuable. See, the problem with thinking that the fight is all about you is that the enemy lures you into the lie that you've got to take up weapons and fight the battle in your own power. But when you realize the battle actually has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him, then you can stand on good ground and say, hey, I know the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. Because the fact is, he could go to any field and any farmer. He could mess with any patch of soil. Why does he want this one? He wants this one because of what this one means to he who owns the field. He's not fixated on this little piece of wheat. He has a vendetta with the master of the field. He has an unrelenting dispute with the master of the field. And so he's willing to deal a mess with whatever and whoever in an effort to get to the master of the field. And now the wheat finds itself in the vulnerable position of being caught in a conflict between the enemy and the Lord of the harvest. And can I just, where the rubber meets the road today, this is where many of you have and are living. You find yourself striving to live for God, desiring to encounter God. You want to be faithful. You want to be pure. You want to be free of depression. You want to be free of anxiety. You want to have joy, and you want to be righteous, and you want to be holy, but it seems like every time you walk out those doors, before Monday rolls around, you're already battling in your mind. And before you can get to midweek Bible connection, the enemy's already stealing the seed that you thought you got on Sunday. And it's this up and down cycle of victory and fight and victory and fight and you're wondering God what's going on I've got to tell you it is the will of God that for a season the seed and the tare the wheat and the tare grow together it's God's means of producing maturity but what you have to know is that in that season the words of Isaiah are true he said no weapon formed against you shall prosper no weapon no weapon. And some of you need to get that in your spirit today. You need to reawaken your faith to the reality of what God said about you and to you before the battle ever began, before the tear was ever sown, before the enemy started tormenting. God already determined your end. He said, no weapon. No weapon. No weapon against my mind. No weapon against my faith. No weapon against my joy. No weapon against my family. No weapon against my finances. No weapon against my job. No weapon against my children. No weapon against my church. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. In fact, he said, every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. See, that's the problem. You can't condemn it if you believe it's going to prosper. 
You've got to believe the first two words if you're going to have the faith that's necessary to condemn the word. So every time a lying spirit shows up in your mind, you've got to rise up and say, no, 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 no. I already know what the word of the Lord says. No weapon. Doubt comes against you and a cloud of confusion overtakes you and you become weary in the battle and discouraged and you feel like you can't find your way out. You've got to go back to the beginning of the story. He said, no weapon. The responsibility to condemn the lie is on you, but you've got to believe the truth if you'll condemn the lie. He said, this is the heritage of the saints of the Lord and their righteousness is from me. problem is you've got to believe in your value. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 1. In the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's talking about God's inheritance in the saints. I know you're thinking, God needs an inheritance? Yeah. You know how he gets it? Through you. This is what Paul was praying. That the eyes of your understanding would be open. That you would come to a realization that you have value to God because what he's doing through you is how he brings glory and honor and inheritance back to himself. He could do it any way he wanted. He could use a donkey. He, he, he could use a chicken. He could use a rooster. He could use some animate, inanimate object like a burning bush on the backside of a desert. But he chose to use you because you have value to him. I pray right now that the eyes of your understanding would be open to realize that you have value to God, and that's why there's a battle in your life. This is what Paul's saying. God has something to gain from you. And i got to preach to you today. If you do not understand the value which you bring to the kingdom and the value which you bring to God's body through this local church, you're not going to be willing to endure the fight. When it gets hard and you get weary and it seems like everything's against you, if you feel deflated and defeated and you have no sense of self-value and no sense of self-confidence, you're not going to have the strength that is necessary to stand in the heat of the battle. You've got to believe what God says about you, that you have value to him. And you've got to know the fact that you have value is the reason that you're fighting. Anywhere you find value, you're going to find an enemy. Because the enemy is seeking those that have value to God. Why do you think he showed up in a garden all the way back in Genesis? Because he was trying to prey on those that had value to God. Why do you think when the Israelites started making their way towards the promised land, Pharaoh said, hey, I think I made a bad decision. I'm going to send my armies to bring them back. Because he realized, if they have value to God, then they must have value to me. If they can do something for God, then they can do something for me. If God believes in them, then I might as well try to take them for myself. I'm preaching to you today. The reason that you struggle in your life is because the enemy knows you have value to God. And if he can start messing with you, then he can get back at God. See, it's not about you. You're just the pawn in the enemy's hand to get back at God. There ain't nobody in this room who's strong enough, talented enough, rich enough, good-looking enough, smart enough to mean anything. He's just using you to get back at the God that he couldn't usurp in the beginning. But if you don't realize who you are, you're going to believe that lying spirit. And you're going to think, well, what's wrong with me? Why isn't God helping me? Where's God? I'm no good. I'm defeated. I'm a loser. I'm the it's a lying spirit, and I come to condemn it. You've got to know who you are. That the eyes of your understanding would be open to, to, to that glorious calling, to the riches of his glory. That the inheritance he gets us through me. And he goes on to talk about the exceeding power 
It's working in us. It's flowing to us. Why is he giving you that power? Because that's how he works. It's what's coming through the soil to produce something in that seed. But the problem is there's a divinely appointed time that God said the tear and the wheat grow together. And if you're not careful in that season, you can become so distracted by the presence of the tear that you deny the focus of the wheat. This is the pattern of Scripture. And it's what you find in the life of Job. Satan didn't have a battle with Job. He had a battle with God. But he knew Job had value in the eyes of God. And so he decides, well, I'm going to mess with Job so I can get back at God. God says, all right, let me tell you something about this Job that serves me. I have such confidence in him that you can touch everything in his life except life itself. And so the enemy starts messing. The enemy starts manipulating the weather and killing Job's family. The enemy starts manipulating the economy. I mean, he's messing with everything in Job's life. Job's friends are cursing him. Job's kids are dying. Job's wife is cursing him. And all of this is the manipulation of a demonic power. You don't know that, Job, but we do because through Scripture, the veil of the flesh is pulled back. But you know what Job didn't lose? His integrity. And this is the battle of the in-between, is to maintain your integrity when every voice in the world is saying, let go, forsake this, give it up, curse God. This isn't important. You don't got to read your Bible. You don't got to pray. You don't got to give. You don't got to come to church. It's trying to call you to forsake your integrity. The battle of the in-between is to maintain your integrity. Here Job is after losing everything in his life, naked on the ground, stricken with boils. And he says, naked came I into this world, and naked will I go. I refuse to curse God. I'm persuaded of the goodness of his character and my value to him. And God says, Job, I'm going to use you to make a mockery of the enemy. Job, I trust you enough to let you endure with the tears, the trial, and the trouble for a season to show you that what you have and who I am is greater than anything the enemy can do. But my ability to make a mockery of the enemy in your life is entirely dependent on your ability to endure the season. So what do you do when it gets hard? What do you do when your mind is overcome with confusion? What do you do when you're weary and you're struggling and you don't feel like you have enough strength to keep pressing on? What do you do? You fall on the ground and you cry out to God because the fact is chaos and conflict did rule the days of Job's life. But from the beginning it was ordained of God that it would only be a season because at the end of Job 42 and 12 it said, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. But what do you do? What do you do in the in-between? I'll tell you what you do. You do what Hebrews 10 and 36 says. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And I've got to come preach to extraordinary church on this Sunday and tell you, I know some of you have been going through the battle. I know some of you are living in a state of tears. The enemy crept in unaware. You weren't expecting it because you came into a faith-filled environment where we were invoking the blessing of God and you could feel the joy joy of the Lord, but you're walking out of this house on Sunday with battle and struggle in your life, trying to make sense of two such extremes. How can I feel so much power and victory? How can I feel so much strength and joy on Sunday? But by the time Monday afternoon rolls around, I feel like my life is overcome by the presence of tears. I've got to tell you, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news today, but it's the will of God for a season. Because it's what God uses to form you and to shape you 
It's what God uses to change your thinking and pull you into prayer. It's what God uses to cause your mind and your heart to be immersed in the Word of God. And yes, yes, I know, I know the enemy starts working through circumstance. And listen, listen, I know it's not, it's not, it's going to make you run today. But, but the enemy can spiritually manipulate natural circumstances. You go read the book of Job. He caused the storm to come. He moved on the hearts and minds of men to make them say things that were contrary to God. And it's easy from Job's perspective to move through that story and wonder, where in the world are you, God? What do you need? I'll tell you what you need. You've got to endure. It's the will of God for a season that the wheat and the tare grow together. For a season. For a season, it's the will of God that there be joy on Sunday and despair on Monday. For a season, it's the will of God that there be revelation on Sunday and confusion on Tuesday. For a season, it's the will of God that you see miracles on Sunday, but you get sick on Wednesday. For a season, it's the will of God that you feel victory in this house on Sunday, but by Thursday afternoon, you're crying and you're living and wondering where God is. For a season! I wish I could tell you it was all going to be water beds and roses. I wish I could tell you that you signed up for a lifetime cruise in the kingdom of God. But honey, that's not how this works. The reality is if we're going to win this battle, we can't have babies on the battlefield. So God says, I got to put you through the fire. I got to take you through the trial. I got to produce a maturity in you. And the way I do it is by letting the wheat grow with the tares. Let it grow together. I let it grow together. Now this is a running theme of prophecy in this church because one of the first messages I preached some years ago was about the provision of the seed. And it was some time ago, I don't know, one or two years ago, flying through here. I was on a layover in the Toronto airport. I was just coming in. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, you text him and tell him the seed or the soil of this city is supernatural soil. So this is a running theme of prophecy in this church. But I've just got to tell you today, I know there's seeds that are in the soil being germinated by the things of God, the Word and the Spirit and prayer. But you've also got to know there's some tares in this soil. And it's the will of God that they grow together for a season because it forces you to choose. It forces you to find yourself. It forces you to deal with those contrary voices. But if you believe the Word of God, if you know what Isaiah said, no weapon! Then when that lying spirit shows up, you just say, no, 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 no. Every voice, every accusation that rises against me in judgment, I shall condemn. It's the heritage of the saints of the Lord. No, that's not true. My family is going to be saved. My child is going to be healed. My career is going to change. My church is going to grow. But you can't do it if you believe what the enemy says and not what God says. You've got to know you have value to him, and that's why you're fighting. Everything in the world would tell you you have no value. Oh, your value is contingent upon the brand that you wear or the car that you drive or the career that you have or what university you went to, friend. That is not true. You have value because you are made in fashion in the image of God. So for a season, it's the will of God. Ask Joseph. Ask Daniel. Ask Peter. Ask John. What was the common denominator between these four men? They all found themselves in a prison as part of the process. How do you get a prophecy? How do you get a word from God and find yourself desolate and destitute, locked in a prison? Because for a season, God says, i got to let the wheat and the tear grow together. But at the time of harvest, but at the time of harvest, what's that mean? It means God had ordained 
before the season of hardship that there was a harvest. Before the season of suffering, there was a change of seasons. The question is not, is it coming? It's, can you endure? If the harvest is coming, that's not even up for debate today. The only question we've got to answer, are we going to endure until the season shifts? I've come to preach to you today that shifting of seasons is just about here. I know you're battling. I tell you, I... I prayed in that hotel room all morning with a cloud of confusion around my mind, struggling to have clarity of thought, not because there's something wrong with me, but because I know the spirit that I'm dealing with right now. And some of you are living in that season. You feel like every step you take is like walking through mud. And every time you try to make a decision, it's like trying to navigate through a thick fog. You know why? God puts you there as part of the development, as part of the proving, as part of the maturity. But if you're not careful, you'll start believing believe in the lie that God doesn't know where you are. God doesn't love you. God's forgotten about you. That there's no end to the story. And I've just got to tell you, he said from the very beginning that after you had suffered a while. What's that mean? It means before the moment you started suffering. God said, I've already determined what it looks like after. I just need you to know, hey, hear me now. After you suffered, after, after. Do you catch that? God said before it began, before you ever got sick, before you ever started battling depression, before you ever encountered anxiety, before the devil started messing with your marriage, before your kids got messed up, before he started messing with extraordinary church. God said, hey, I just need you to know before you walk into this season, I've already ordained your after. And I've come here today to tell you that that after is now. It's now. 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 That's why the writer of Hebrews said, cast not away thy confidence. Because if you don't have confidence in God and confidence in the process, you're not going to have the ability to endure. That's why Paul said, being confident of this one thing, that he, he, hey, I got to tell you something today. This didn't start with you. This didn't even start with him. It sure didn't start with me. My confidence is in he who has begun a good work. See, that, that's the problem. Some of you found yourself in suffering. You found yourself dealing with the tares in the field, and you lost your faith in the good work. You're looking around thinking, where's the good in this? Pastor Akil, where's the, where's the good in this? Here's all the problems in my life. My finances are a mess. We're battling in our marriage. My kids are messed up. Where's the good in this? The good is not always in this, but it's in what this does. That's why Paul said, all things he said, are good. He said, all things work together for good to them that are called. But if you lose your confidence in the calling, you won't have the ability to endure. I've got to preach to you today. You've got to shake off the lie of the enemy. You've got to shake off that lying spirit. You've got to believe that what God said at the beginning is still true in the process. But preacher, I don't, I don't see no good work around here. I, I lost my job. I'm battling my family. My friends are forsaking me. Since I decided I was going to live for God, it seems like I'm battling on every turn. Yeah, you are. Because some of you would never pray if you didn't have no battle in your life. Some of you never read your Bible if you didn't have questions for which you didn't have answers and problems that you didn't know how to navigate. So God says, that's all right. I just got to let the enemy come in. Well, you were sleeping one night. One Thursday night, I had to let that spirit walk in your house and create a little contrast in your world because you can't appreciate the light if you don't know darkness. You don't know the glory of a miracle unless you know the need for one. You don't know the beauty of a healing unless you've really been sick. So I have to let the contrast of revelation into your world so you can perceive the beauty of what I'm doing in you and through you. Huh. 
preacher, I don't see no good work. That's just, everything's hard. Yeah, I know it's hard. It's hard because you're valuable. And because you have value to him, the enemy says, all right, I'm going to get back at him by messing with them. I'm going to get back at the Lord of the harvest by messing with the wheat. I'm going to get back at him by messing with extraordinary church and trying to mess with your mind and mess with your family and mess with your life. But after you have suffered a while, he said that before you suffered. Because he knew before you got in, you were coming out. He knew before it ever started, it was going to end. The question is, can you endure? I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, you just need to hang on. Hang on! Don't let this be your last Sunday. Don't let this be your last summer at Extraordinary Church. Don't let this be your last year frequent in this building and connecting with this body because you're almost there. I'm telling you what I know in the Holy Ghost. You're almost there. Be not weary in well-doing. You realize every time you walk through those doors, that's well-doing. Every time you open the cover of your Bible, that's well-doing. Every time you sit down in that chair and you just lift your hands with worship music on, that's well-doing. Hey, but preacher, I'm so weary. And I know you are. But if you'll be not weary in well-doing, there's a due season. And you're going to reap if you faint not. If you can just endure, if you can muster up enough strength to hang on for one more Sunday, if you can just muster up enough strength to hang on for a couple more weeks, one more month, just one more quarter, if you can find just enough strength, if you don't have it in yourself, find somebody in this house. Hook on to them and say, I need you to help carry me. Bear my burden with me. I'm a little weak in myself. Pastor, I'm a little bit discouraged. Pastor Barry, I'm a little bit tired. I need you to help me. Will you carry me a little bit? I feel alone. I feel forsaken. But hey, if you'll just help me, I'm telling somebody in the Holy Ghost, that your due season starts on this day. But it starts right here. It starts with a shift of thinking that says, this isn't my last Sunday. This isn't the last time I'm going to pray. This isn't the last time I'm going to give. This isn't the last time I'm going to worship. No, no. Because I know that there's an after that's ordained. And that after is now. Stand together with me. Come on, would you just lift your hands to the Lord right now. I already read it once, but I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to say that word. Now, now, that is God drawing our attention to a definitive moment in time. He says, now wasn't tomorrow, it wasn't next week, it wasn't next hour, it wasn't tonight. He said, now, now. Job, there's a definitive moment I had ordained before this ever began. And now is that moment that I'm going to bless the latter days of your life more than the beginning. For you had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He draws a contrast of time between what is happening now and what was at the beginning. But do you know what? Between the beginning and the blessing, there's a whole lot of afters. After you battled discouragement, after you went to bed crying, after you were done complaining, after you were weary, after you dealt with anxiety, 
after you overcame cancer, after you lost your job, after you restored your marriage, after your kids came home, after, 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 after. There's a whole lot of afters between the beginning and the blessing. But if you can just endure in the battle, if you could just hang on, I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost what I know from God. You're almost there. You're almost there. But you got to hang on. Come on. I know you're weary. Ah, I know you're battling. I know you've got questions. I know it's hard. But God's doing something in you. There's a strength rising in you. There's a resolve growing in you. I didn't give him this scripture, so just don't look at the screen. Just hear me. James said, my brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know. I know. I'm a certainty. I don't just think. It's not a possibility. It's of a certainty that the testing of your faith produces endurance. stronger than I used to be because I just refuse to let go I refuse to give up and I know that if I let endurance have its perfect effect it's going to make me perfect and complete and not deficient in anything see the only way I get to maturity is by God letting the enemy come in while I was sleeping and bring just enough problem to make me dependent on his presence. But I came today to tell you that after you have suffered a while, he said, I'm going to restore you. Before I settle you, before I establish you, I'm going to restore you. So the first order of business is I'm going to put you back to the state you were before the suffering. But that's just the first thing I'm doing. See, some of you wonder, how am I going to make it in the future? How am I going to live in the future? I've lost so much in the process. Yeah, but if you can just hang on, the first thing he's going to do when he brings you through this season is he's going to replenish you and restore you back to what you had in the beginning. But that's not where it stops. Because the blessing at the end is so much more bountiful than what was at the beginning. The question is not, is after coming? The question is, are you going to be there when after arrives? It's coming. Don't you worry. Everything you thought you lost, every night season, every sorrowful tear, it put a song in your heart before it ever began. What you thought was only bringing joy but brought tears. Before it ever began, he said, Cassandra, there's an after. There's an after. And if you can just keep singing in the night, you're going to wake up one day. It's not going to be night anymore.
telling you, I can see it so clear in the Spirit. It's like the hand of God with an old feather pen is writing and he's nearing the bottom of a page soon to put a period and turn it to a new chapter. He's not done writing your story if you'll just stay in the story. Hey, I know it's hard. I know there's been battles. And I'm not just preaching to individuals and to families. I'm talking about this church. I know as part of the maturity, there's been some tears. As unpleasant and uninvited they may be, they're welcomed by God to work His purpose, to produce a patience that isn't built on the limitations of man or our personality, but draws its source from the Spirit. I'll tell you right now, this guy is not very patient. You can just ask my wife. Dan McLeod doesn't have enough patience. So you know what I've had to do? I've had to learn to get connected to that vine and draw from him who knows how to endure. I don't have enough strength. So I got to get connected to he who can get down in a garden all by himself. Say, nevertheless, not my will. I don't have this in my flesh. So I got to get connected to he who put that cross on his back and started walking towards Calvary. I don't have it in me, and you don't have it in you. So you got to get filled with He whose Spirit was poured out on all flesh, who knows what it's like to hang bloody and beaten on that cross, gasping for His last breath, enduring. Oh, I know the devil thought he had it. I know, man, that there's saints sitting back. Sipping his Coke, thinking, <laughs> I told him, I knew it. And there they put that lifeless body in the tomb. He's sitting back with all the demons of hell. <laughs> he thought he had all power. <laughs> he thought his miracles were something. Evidently, he didn't believe. But Jesus stood in that temple and said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. You know what happened on those three days? He walked through the gate of hell. And he walked into prison. He said, hey, I know you thought the story was over. I know you thought when you put me in that tomb, you had conquered me. But that's what I had to do to get on your turf. Because I knew no death. I didn't know the grave. But I submitted to the process so I could come into the domain of death to let you know that I life abundantly have power over you. It's the principle of incarnational dominion. The only way you get dominion over something. We like to talk about impartation. Everybody wants their, someone lay hands on them and say, woohoo, and you think you get everything. Honey, that ain't how God works. He says, I got to let you walk through it. But in the process, I'm doing something in you to give you dominion. And he walked into the courts of hell, said, hey, I know you thought you had beat me, but I just come here to let you know I'm taking those keys back. I'm taking the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Why are you walking through it? I'll tell you why. Because he wants to get you to a place of dominion in your life, a place of maturity in your life, where you can start helping other people.
the way you needed help. But you got to endure. You got to hang on. Because the question, I want you to hear me. This, this is not in my notes. This, the Holy Ghost is echoing this phrase in my spirit right now. The question is not, is after coming. The question is, are you going to be here when after arrives? Because he said it at the beginning. After you suffered a while, I'm going to replenish you. And then I'm going to settle you. And I'm going to establish you. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? I know the enemy's sowing tears. He's been putting stuff in your mind. He's been whispering in your ear. I'm telling you today, you got to rise up and condemn it. You got to cast that thought down. You got to declare the word of the Lord. Job, I'm sorry, but I had to let him do it. But it was only for a season. Job, if you could just hang on, I know that this will not be your end. Amen. Let's do it. If you're here today and you've been battling and your mind and your life, you're weary, you're discouraged. You think, I just, I don't know how much longer I can hang on. Something's going to shift for you today if you'll let the Holy Ghost help you. For those of you that have joined us online, thank you. I pray the word of the Lord will speak to you. The Holy Ghost will minister to you where you're watching today. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.